Let me uh, make one correction to the announcements. The pig roast is Saturday the 17th of September. Not Friday the 23rd, Saturday the 17th. Let me make a comment about this. Uh, I am very happy that I'm in a church where the men read the Bible because obviously most of our men have read in Acts where Peter's given a vision and a sheet comes down and God shows him the food that he has provided to people and says, do not call anything unclean that I've made clean because the amount of pork the men in this church eat is amazing. It's scary, in fact. In fact, yesterday uh, I brought turkey sausage to the men's breakfast. I thought there was going to be a riot. I was afraid Mark Rayburn was going to shove me in a garbage can because it wasn't pork. So if you want pork, you're going to get pork on the 17th, men. And by the way, great time of activities, fellowship. I know uh, guys who go to the, to the men's breakfast love meeting new people and having a chance to talk. Uh, a couple other things, always have to make uh, the perfunctory comments. Yes, there is weather outside. Okay, that's one. Um, second, uh, I want to take a, a point of personal privilege. Last week, Tom got to talk about his grandson. He somehow, every time he speaks, puts his grandson in somehow. I want to talk about my grandson, but I don't have to say a lot because it's the same grandson. We share him. And so there, I said, talk about my grandson. And it's the best of both worlds because he looks like Tom and he has my last name. So it works perfect. <laughs> All right, so this morning, we are going to continue with our uh, little summer look at Psalms. And last week, Tom spoke on it. And this week, I will pick up with Psalm 1. So I invite you to open your Bible to Psalm number one as you're doing that. I think a lot of us make assumptions because early on in Psalms, uh, the book of Psalms, we have um, David as the author, but there is no author given for Psalm number one. And so we won't make any assumptions who it was. So Psalm one, please read along with me. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads, leads to ruin. Lord, at this time, we just want your word to speak to us. Uh, Lord, I just pray that whatever comes from me will clearly reflect your truth and the wisdom that you bring through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at uh, our world today, uh, if you've heard me speak a number of occasions, you know that I um, am firmly against the henny-penny school of Christianity, that the sky is falling, that everything's terrible. However, we live in a wicked and broken world. It's sinful. And in some things, we have had an acceleration of how this is manifested very quickly. In the last seven years since the Supreme Court's case in Obergefell, which legalized same-sex marriage, 
we have seen an unbelievable change in our society in the view of the identity of people, and in fact, the view of their ability to decide their own identity. It has been amazing. And the other thing that has happened is this so-called tolerance of our society 20 years ago was, hey, just respect me, and you, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, respect me, has changed completely. It has become, if you do not affirm me, you hate me. And just last week, ESPN, so the source is certainly not a Christian source, ESPN had an article about Jaylene Daniels. Jaylene Daniels is a professional soccer player. She uh, was signed by the North Carolina Courage of the National Women's Soccer League. And right after she was signed, the Courage, because of public backlash, issued an apology for signing her. Now, this is a human being, and they issued an apology for signing her. Why did they issue an apology? Because in 2017, Jaylene Daniels had had an opportunity to join the United States women's national team, the apex of soccer, year in and year out in the world, the best women's soccer team. She declined because part of that would have meant wearing a pride jersey. Jaylene is a Christian. And here's what Jaylene said. I remain committed to my faith and desire for people to know that my love for them isn't based on their belief system or sexuality. So that's her position. She's committed to her faith and she's willing to love people because God created them. Well, this was a response to what Jaylene decided to do. Remember, this is somebody who played, and some of you who are parents of club soccer players know the time, the money, the, the, just the years of commitment, and she had a chance to be at the apex, and she, because of her faith, she chose not to. And here's what, uh, I'm not even gonna give her name, the goalkeeper on the national team said. This is, this is her response. And of course, it was done on Twitter, which is an easy place to hide behind. Your religion was never the problem. The problem is your intolerance and you are homophobic. You don't belong in a sport that aims to unite and bring people together. We, we could go on about the lack of logic in that last statement. You don't belong in a sport that aims to unite and bring people together. Uh, I heard Michael Scott say something like that in the office one time. <laughs> but that's where it's come from. Did Jaylene say anything about an irrational fear of homosexual people? No, she didn't. But she was labeled homophobic because she made a decision to forgo what would be the dream of her career because of her faith. We think people would be applauded for that. She didn't put anybody down, but that's where we are, folks. We need to recognize that. The good news is God is sovereign. We have nothing to fear because God is sovereign. I'm gonna recommend a book by Carl Truman and it is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Carl Truman, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It is a masterful work. To sum it all up, what Carl Truman shows through the historical analysis and then through the current day is that we have become a society where we can identify our own selves 
based on our sexual beliefs and preferences. We have separated sex from gender, and now we can say we're anything we want. Yesterday I was talking with somebody about this and he said, uh, yeah, so I could say I'm a 15-year-old boy? I said, well, that's the logic of it. Of course, those people who advocate that wouldn't agree with you because they said, well, you're obviously not a 15-year-old boy. But that's where we are in our society. Think of the number of pronouns or non-pronouns. I mean, all these things. This is what's being taught as truth in our society. And it is accelerating as we speak right now. Now, Psalm 1 presents two stanzas, and they, it presents very distinct and very clear types of people. There are righteous and there are wicked people. Righteous and wicked. There's nothing in between. There's not people who are, oh, sort of there. You are either righteous or you're wicked. I went to a funeral at a Roman Catholic church about a month ago. And in that uh, funeral, the priest, as he was given his homily, um, mentioned purgatory, a Catholic, Roman Catholic teaching about kind of a, a place of limbo, where you're not in heaven, you're not in hell, you're kind of in between, and people can pray you out of that. You can pray to Mary. Nothing in God's word gives us any credence to that. So there is only, as stated here, there are righteous and there are wicked. Now, by the way, before we go any further, every single person in here either is wicked or was wicked. And the only reason anybody in this room is righteous is through God's sovereignty and the blood of Jesus Christ. So Psalm 1, verse 1 the blessing of don't. Yeah, it's a negative term, but God gives us the negatives so we can be blessed. Notice it starts out with the hap happy, how happy is the one, how happy. Many translations will show blessed. Some of you are looking at right now, blessed. It doesn't matter, it's the same thing. This is a deep-seated joy. It is not reliant on other people. It is not reliant on circumstances. Blessed, happy, either way. It's a deep-seated joy. And so the don'ts of this are pretty clear. We don't walk in the advice of the wicked. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Folks, we have this right inside this big church that we call Christianity. It is everywhere. We have a guy in Houston who brings in the biggest crowd every week of any church in America, and the stuff that comes out of his mouth is absolutely nonsense. We have right down the road from my house a church and it says something to the effect of all are welcome or all will be loved and all kinds of rainbow flags. There's no question what they're saying, that we will affirm people in their homosexuality or whatever type of identity they choose. 
completely against the word of God. This is what we, right within what we call Christianity. We don't have to look out at the world that doesn't claim to be Christian. It comes right in the front door of many churches. And it appeals, as Timothy said, to the itch people want to hear. It appeals to what makes them feel good, at least what they think makes them feel good, but they're not. Isaiah 28, 29 says that the Lord gives wondrous advice. He gives great wisdom. If it's not from God, it is not great wisdom. If it's from somebody just talking about what makes people feel good, what they want to hear, to hear that they can live their best life now, which is scary, because there's a real long life after this, eternity. That is not wondrous. That is not great wisdom. The second don't is we don't stand in the pathway with sinners. In the news just last week, this, by the way, from King 5, again, we can't claim, oh, this is just a Christian outlet that's trying to promote something. King 5 told the story of a situation at Seattle Pacific University. Maybe some of you have heard about this. The Board of Regents at Seattle Pacific University made a very clear statement. They said, Seattle Pacific University will not allow same-sex relationships between staff or students. Seattle Pacific University was founded on Christian principles, and they're making a, a very clear stand on what they believe. Well, this caused a big uproar. At the commencement ceremonies this last June, students walked up, and instead of shaking hands with the president, they handed the president a pride flag. Well, it went further than that, because the attorney general, state attorney general, is investigating Seattle Pacific University now for discrimination. Now, this is a private institution. They are following their very clear religious beliefs, yet they are being investigated for discrimination because they say that employees cannot be involved in same-sex relationships. If they can go after Seattle Pacific University, how soon till they start looking at churches? Now, this might get all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court would strike it down and say no, but still, this is the society we're in right now. But standing in the pathway with sinners, here was a quote from a student activist on campus. And this is where we go to. We have so many students and staff and faculty who are Christian and who also want this policy to change. So it's really not an issue of Christianity or religious freedom. So for SPU to take that approach is extremely contradictory to the university atmosphere itself. So it, is ju it just shows that they have their view of what they think is the right way to practice Christianity, and they're doing that on a campus that's supposed to praise all ways of doing Christianity. You get that? There it is. There is the climate. There is the atmosphere in our society. Praise all, you're supposed to praise all ways of doing Christianity, whatever that may mean. Now, this young lady, uh, we should be praying for her and others like her who have these beliefs because they are completely 
misguided. They are not following the word of God. They are standing in the pathway of sinners. In fact, I'm sure they, they like to quote Jesus a lot when it suits their needs for love and, and things like that. But Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, he said, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. That ought to be sobering. Few find it. Think of that quote. They're doing that on a campus that's supposed to praise all ways. The wide road. Jesus says, no, there is a narrow road to him. And then our third don't is do not sit in the company of mockers. Most of you didn't know we were going to be doing this passage of scripture, and we just sang that song. I was a mocker. I was a scoffer. Some of you have scoffer in there for mocker. Mocking God is as, as old as man himself. In the garden, Satan mocks God's word. And his mocking leads Adam and Eve to commit sin. In essence, mocking God's word about what he should do. In fact, God himself is mocked so often in our world. He's mocked by people like Richard Dawkins, who call it a God delusion, that people believe in a God is some kind of genetic defect. But people mocked the living God to his face. Matthew 27, 38 through 44 says that as Jesus was being crucified, then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him and said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. I mean, this is to the living God, to Jesus himself. He was mocked. And it's kind of easy, like it's easy to use social media to mock God when you're not in his presence, but that was in the presence of the living God. God is not mocked. Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Now we get to verse 2, and we have the blessing of do. This is what you do. We have to remember that we don't just say, don't, don't, don't. Empty, empty, empty. We have to fill. Jesus tells this. He talks about the fact that, that a man was possessed and the demons were driven out. And nothing filled back in to keep the demons out and they came back. We have to do. And to go specifically with this passage... We need to be saturated with the word of God. I think that's a great term, saturated. 
It needs to be absolutely who we are. Listen to what God said to Joshua. This is right after Moses dies. Joshua chapter one, verses six to eight. He says, be strong and courageous for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. And now here's where he gets, see if this sounds familiar. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. That was from God. Moses gave them the command from God. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. So we don't walk in the advice of the wicked. We don't stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but notice what it says, instead. We delight in the Lord's instruction. We meditate on, meditate on it day and night. Delight in the Lord's instruction. We have to ask ourselves, do we delight in the Lord's instruction? In other words, do we delight in being in his word? This is where you get the Lord's instruction. I'm always a little cautious when I hear these people talking about, well, I said to God, and he said to me, and I said to God, and he said to me, uh, I'm a little uh, hesitant to follow that. That sounds like somebody who's going beyond here. This is the Lord's instruction. Do you delight in being in his word? Well, yeah, except if I'm in Leviticus or something like, no. Do you delight in being in his word? Because if you delight in being in his word, I'm telling you what, it's like Mary Poppins, Leviticus goes down with a spoonful of sugar. Because you see how Leviticus is part of the whole story. You don't see it as just you know, a bunch of oh, rules and story, oh boy. No, you go, wow, that ties in. I just read about that in the New Testament. It ties together. You delight in God's word. You delight in his instruction. It gives us life itself. It tells us what we need to do. And he meditates on it day and night. Now, a lot of Christians, especially if you're older, and you remember transcendental meditation, TM. This is not, the word meditate is completely different when it's God's instruction. Transcendental meditation is basically about emptying your mind and focus on your mantra. And just God's meditation is to fill your mind with the things that are holy. To meditate on it day and night. Now, this doesn't mean, and by the way, it's been misused. This doesn't mean you are to be a monk who goes to a monastery and all you do all day is stuff that's focused on God just by praying, reciting the word, all those things. This means you meditate on it day and night. It guides everything you do. It is your worldview. You don't take your view of the world and try to fit it into God's word. Your worldview is God's word. And the things in this world then are viewed through those glasses. Meditate on it day and night night. Everything we do 
is to be with that. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's pretty clear how powerful God's word is. And we are to delight in it and we are to meditate on it day and night. Simon Peter. Oh, Simon Peter. We love to give him a bad time. But I'll tell you what. If, if I can live up to half of how he followed Christ, uh, that would be amazing. Simon Peter said in John 6, 68, he said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. What comes from God, what Jesus spoke, is eternal life. Verse 3, we have the blessing of being chosen. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. First of all, notice the tree is planted. It did not germinate on its own and grow. It is planted. Who planted it? In this context, the Lord planted it. What happened is, for people who call Christ Lord and Savior, they were wicked. Every single one. They didn't get to come to God because they did good things. In his sovereignty, God reached out and touched them and changed their hearts first. He regenerated them first. Then they were able to clearly hear and understand his word. And through simply his grace and his mercy, he allowed through faith those who call him Lord and Savior to come to him and to have the assurance that their sins that they had no way of getting rid of were taken care of when he was on the cross by his blood. We sang about it this morning. We had great gospel um, words this morning. And we're assured that because he was resurrected in the very body in which he was put in the tomb, that we will have eternal life with God. See, that's who's planted. We have been planted. We did not take root ourselves and nurture and grow ourselves. Only through God. So the tree is planted. And, and to get a visual of beside flowing streams, think when you go into a kind of an arid place, you can just go to Eastern Washington and you're going through, and a lot of Eastern Washington is technically a desert and you, you drive through and there's a river or a large stream and naturally you see trees next to it. So this visualization, especially for them in their day, would have been very powerful. And so a tree that notice beside flowing streams. Now, when Jesus first started his ministry, he was in Nazareth, and, and Luke chronicles this in chapter 4. He comes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he is, it says he's given the scroll. He didn't just walk up there. So he had come in before. They knew who he was. They allowed him to read the scroll. On the scroll that day was Isaiah. Chapter 61, verses 1 and through 3. Jesus read verses 1 through 2. But let's read this. Isaiah 
61, one through three, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes in, instead of despair. And then he finishes, verse three finishes with, and they will be called righteous trees. Those that are planted by the Lord to glorify him. Do you think maybe the writer of Psalms knew his scripture, knew the Lord's instruction? Because that's exactly what we read in Psalms. Jeremiah, or excuse me, Isaiah is is absolutely giving the Lord's word, planted by the Lord to glorify him beside flowing streams. Jeremiah in verse, chapter 17, verse seven, eight says, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is in the Lord is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed, just like that tree. You know, on the real personal level, as Jesus was going through Samaria and he met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he, he made it very clear who is the source of that water. He said to her, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. And then we will bear fruit. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Bearing fruit is evidence of our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by your fruit. And we need to praise the Lord for the fruit we recognize here in our church. We need to praise the fact that last week we saw the fruit of the Spirit in people who came here and ministered to over 100 children at VBS. That is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit of, pe of people who come here and open the church every morning and get things ready and people who greet you at the door with a smile and people right now are back there ministering to our children and people who are willing week in and week out to come up and take care of the grounds because they know God has given us this as a great gift and we need to be good stewards of the property. I mean, we could go on and on and on of what we see for the fruits, but we have to bear fruit. And it's in so many different ways, but we have to bear the fruit. 
Let me tell you uh, from God's word what the fruit looks like. Paul and Silas in the jail in Philippi. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are preaching Jesus Christ. And they are beaten, flogged, it said, with rods. And they're thrown in the innermost jail. Their feet are put in stocks. I mean, these guys are public enemy number one. And you can imagine a Palestinian jail 2,000 years ago and you're in the inner jail probably was even worse. And what do we see them doing in the middle of the night? They are praying and singing hymns. Praying and singing hymns. Meditating on the Lord's instruction day and night. I mean, I don't know about you, but after taking a beating like that in a terrible place like that, I might just be trying to lick my wounds and hope I'll survive. No, they are praying and singing hymns, the fruit of the spirit coming out and the prisoners are listening. And in fact, when God in his sovereignty releases them, they don't leave the prison. They stay there because something else has to happen. The guard has to come back and he's ready to kill himself because he knows he's failed. And they say, no, 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 let's share something with you. And they share Jesus Christ with him and he and his whole family come to Christ because of the fruit of two men who were persecuted and they weren't prosecuted, they were persecuted, beaten and left in terrible conditions and were praising God in the midst of it. There's the fruit we need to look at. And notice finally that in verse three, it does not wither, it's evergreen. And it says, whatever he does prospers right at the end. This is not the claimant gospel wealth that people say, oh, if you believe it and God owes it to you, if you're faithful, no, it's not. It's talking about if you go back up, you prosper in the things that have been laid out. I think Paul and Silas were prospering, yet they were beaten and thrown in prison. They were prospering. It does not mean by the measure of this world when it says prosper. Now, we need to remember something though. And I, I love the way this was phrased. I got it from Steve Lawson. He says, we are to be insulated, but not isolated from the world. Okay, all of what we've been talking about is how we're insulated, but we're not isolated. If, that would contradict God's word, his instruction, Matthew, Chapter 28, the Great Commission. We just studied that not too long ago. John chapter 17, Jesus prays for us. And he says not to be removed from the world, but to be protected in the world by the Father. We are to be insulated, not isolated from the world. Now we get to verses four through six, and this is the reality of judgment. There will be a judgment. Again, there are only the wicked and the righteous. And Jesus says in chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now, we can't judge people's hearts, and we're not allowed to judge people and their salvation. But I'm reading those examples there, and I see those in popular Christian circles, the stuff said there, and it scares me, because I say, I hope these people read God's word and understand it. 
Because there are going to be people who say, Lord, Lord, who say, I, we did all these things. Remember the fruit? We did all the fruit. And he's going to say, no, that was not fruit because it was done for your own purposes. It was done for your own glory, not to glorify God. And Jesus also says in Matthew 12, verses 36 through 37, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. And there are no more important words than to speak truly from your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. So for this week, delight in the Lord's instruction and meditate on it day and night. It's as simple as that. Well, well, how can we do that? Well, some of it's discipline. It's called discipleship because it takes discipline. You have to be willing to do it. It's part of the faith part we get. You have to be willing to get up in the morning and go to God's word. Not just include God's word as part of what you're doing. I'm going to give you some practical recommendation. Take this thing. Nothing wrong with Bible apps. Absolutely nothing wrong they have their use. But take this thing in the morning and put it in a different room. Turn it off. Come back. This isn't magic because it's in a book. But guess what? It's just you and God's word. You say, well, but, but sometimes I come into stuff and I, I Google it. Okay, good. Walk to the other room. Google it. All right. Walk back. Because I'm telling you from personal experience, I can get on an app in here and I start reading God's word and pretty soon I say, I wonder if the Mariners won last night. I'll just take a break. Yeah, there's a lot of people laughing because all of us know about that. Take the time separately. The Bible on audio, fantastic. But that cannot be driving in a car your only time with God's word. That should be supplemental. We've got to take time. We've got to take time with him. So this week, delight in his word and meditate on it day and night. We're going to close with prayer. And this morning, uh, just as, as part of the reading I was doing, um, Psalm 119. And I'm going I'm to read it, but I want us to make this our prayer this morning. Psalm 19, not the whole thing, don't worry. <laughs> Some of you are going, he just said he's going to read it. Psalm 119, verse 65 through 72. Let's pray together. Lord, you have treated your servant well, just as you promised. Teach me good judgment and discernment, for I rely on your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have smeared me with lies, but I obey your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are hard and insensitive, but I delight in your instruction. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. Instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.